Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from Leviticus chapter 19 verses 33 through 37 and Romans chapter 12 verses 17 through 19. Morning, Church of the Beloved. Uh, My name is Clint. I get to be a pastor here as well. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, a very, very simple, very chill, very easy concept today. Justice. So, should be in and out really quick. About 10 minutes and we'll be done with it. Uh, No, we're going to talk about justice. We're going to talk about biblical justice. We're going to talk about gospel justice. And the thing I want to remind you before we go on, as we've walked through Leviticus, what's been incredible about this series is Leviticus has this formula, and I, I hope you saw it in the reading of God's word. There's a formula to how God extrapolates, how he teaches, how he informs us of his heart and therefore what our heart should be. Here's how it goes. There is a command given in Leviticus, and the command today was uh, do not have unequal weights uh, and also treat the foreigner as a citizen. And then it gives a reason. So there's a command, treat foreigners as citizens, do not use unequal weights. The the reason, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. And then the end, which in Leviticus is summarized in this. This is a common occurrence. It says, be holy as I am holy. Or God will also say, don't forget my statutes. Don't forget my laws. Don't forget my rules. Well, today as we come to justice, I'm going to hopefully, my prayer, my intention today is to give you an understanding of what is wickedness, what is proper justice, proper biblical justice, and then how do we do so? Uh, Today, I want you to leave knowing this, that justice helps us remember, and I'll explain a little bit about what rehearsing the gospel looks like. Justice helps you and I remember. The second thing that justice does is it helps us serve. Knowing and focusing on justice helps us serve. And lastly, Justice helps bring salvation. Justice helps bring salvation. And here's how I want to do that today. I want to start with understanding what justice helps us remember. As we've made our way through the book, again, every single time we come to Leviticus, it has some interesting, dare I say, just maybe archaic understanding for us. There's talk about goat and sheep sacrifice. There's talking about not wearing mixed fiber, which every single one of us in this room right now are apparently sinning. And and how do we work with that? And how do we understand that? Leviticus has these commands and each one of them is to be followed. Each one of them is to be upheld. Each one of them is to be understood because this isn't just laws and commands for God's people of Israel. These are laws and commands for God's people of all times. We need to understand what Jesus is saying in this. And why do I say Jesus? Isn't this Leviticus? Isn't this Old Testament? Well, one of the things that I understand about the Bible, what Jesus himself says, is he is in every single word, letter, and stroke of Scripture. Every, he is what he will say as we come upon the new year. We're going to actually start a series in the epistles of John. He's called the light. He's called the beginningless and he's called the Word Incarnate. Jesus' name, if we were to give him a name in the Trinity, is the Word. It says the Word made flesh. So every single aspect of the Bible is Christ. So as we talk about justice, I want to talk about Leviticus, that every single thing in there, every single law, weird, wonky, and and odd, points us to obedience of Christ. Now, I want to encourage you with something. If you are not a Christian... 
This is, this is going to be very, very odd, very, very weird, because they're going to say, Pastor, this is the worst advice I've ever gotten from a pastor in my entire life. If you are not convicted by the gospel, if you are not saturated in the gospel, do not try to hold any command of scripture. Don't try to do any of it. It will break you and make you so depressed that you won't be able to continue. If you are not saturated in the gospel, if you're not choosing the gospel, if Christ is not your bridegroom, if Christ is not your king, following his commands is going to be the most unloving thing on planet earth for you to do. Today, when I talk justice, and we're going to get to this in, in the second point, when I talk justice, many people will say, yes, I seek justice. Yes, I want to socially uh, reconcile with the world and with God and people, and I want to make things right. Without Christ, A, it's impossible. B, it will crush you. You will become a shell of a human if you try to seek justice without loving mercy and following Christ. It can't happen. What do I mean by that? Justice is not just in order to reconcile social paradigms. We typically think of justice and we think of social programs. We think of uh, fighting against inequalities of the world, which that is part of justice, but it's not the totality of justice. Actually, justice, if I was to give you a, a quick and dirty uh, definition of it, it's making straight what the world made crooked. It's making straight what you and I in sin made abjectly crooked and cattywampus all the way through. Let me show you what I mean. Leviticus has a very, very, very clear command. Very clear command. That you and I are to treat foreigners as citizens. And you and I are not to mistreat and misuse those who aren't accustomed with our ways of life with unequal scales. Now, a quick Quick understanding of this, uh, uh, as we can say. Many of you travel to other countries, and you come to a different culture. Uh, I remember this. Uh, every single time I, I land in an airport that's outside of the country, I have somebody in that country, and they tell me, uh, now we have Uber and Lyft and all these, but um, before it was, you know, you hop in a cab. And what was somebody from a country when you landed there and you were supposed to take a cab to their place, what was the advice they gave you? How much to pay the cabbie, right? They would say, don't pay more than $25, it should not, if they're charging you $25, you say no, you push back, they're stealing from you, right? And so you get in the cab and, and you, you get to the destination and the cabbie would say something like $55 and, you're, and you'd look at them like, come on, I know it's $25. And they're like, no, 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 50, $50, 100%. It, it, it's all fair, it's all, I'm like, okay, where's the meter? No, it's, this, is 50, this is what everybody pays. Like everybody or just the American traveler who's coming to your country? Okay, so, so then you say, let's, let's be fair. Now, why is that sinful? Why is that broken? Why is that busted? And also, why does it say to treat the foreigner as a citizen? And this is very, very unique because we want to say all these sorts of things. Well, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not good, which is true. But that's actually not the reason that God gives of why to seek justice, why not to mistreat people who are in your country, who are not accustomed to your ways, who don't maybe know your language, who maybe don't understand all the concept of all the nuance of cultural understanding. Why is that so important that we do so? Well, Leviticus has a very specific reason. And it's what you and I, if we enact justice, if we seek to make straight what the world made crooked, what you and I are doing very well, it's what is at the end of the Leviticus or midway through in the formula. It says, you were once foreigners in Egypt. I brought you alien resident, out of Egypt into a land your own. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's the reason to do justice. The first understanding of what is right, what is good, how do we make things straight is to not say, well, we do justice for, for lots of different reasons, pastor. Because it's right and it's good. That's why we do justice. Because it's evil to see injustices. It's evil to see social uh, uh, constructs, social structures be demeaning towards other people. Now, I want to encourage you with two primary ways that the world, and I'm going to only focus on two, because if you go down this deep dive of Reddit holes on can you seek social justice without God, that rabbit hole of Reddit is deep. There are lots of articles on that. I'm going to try to condense it down to two main reasons the world says yes. And I'm going to use maybe racial inequality or, or poverty or, 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 or socioeconomic inequality as two of the primary ways that we understand. And we say to ourselves, no, 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 pastor, this is, we were aliens in Egypt. That's not a good enough reason to do justice. That's weird. That's, I, I have no connection to that. Let me start with two ways that you and I typically do justice in the world, or two ways the world tries to convince us to do so. One, serving makes you feel good. That's point one. Many people will say, right? You meet somebody and they say, oh my gosh, when I serve people, it just makes me feel so good all day long. I just love serving. You should serve because it's going to make you feel good. That's reason one we do so. Reason two we do so is because serving others helps my community. And don't these seem very, very not evil? Don't they seem very I don't know, neutral at minimum or beneficial at best. Now, church, I have a task in front of me. I want to show you how these two things are sinful. I want to show you that serving and you feeling good is sinful. And you serving and helping the community is sinful. Let me, here's my task in front of me. I, you don't have to be there yet. I hope to encourage you to it. Uh, this, uh, Jenny Santi wrote an article a number of years ago as I was reading through and she was talking about how the hardwiring in our system, and when we serve other people, it makes us feel good, and that's hardwired to us. And so we can't help but do it. So serving people gives this, this euphoric, this kind of this hit of, of synapses firing in our brain, these chemical responses, and we feel so good about ourselves. We get to go back home. We get to brag about it. We get to even brag to ourselves silently if we're not bragging to friends or coworkers. Uh, and don't we all do like a little silent brag sometimes when we serve? Somebody's like, hey, what are you doing Saturday? And you could say, I'm busy. But what do we say sometimes? Well, actually, I'm spending three hours with the homeless serving them. And then you wait for like, you know, a round of applause somewhere. You don't have to say I'm doing it. You just say, hey, I'm busy. That's, that's it. But why don't we do that? Because we want to feel good about it. We come back and we tell people, you need to do this because it's going to make you feel good. She wrote in this article, she encourages us that actually to live longer and have a better life, science has proven that, that we should give to others. Uh, there's, a, there's a proverb she recommended. She says, if you want to feel good for an hour, take a nap. A year, get a great job. A lifetime, inherit a fortune, but forever give to others. Now, here's why this is sinful, and, and, and I need to try to encourage you to see this as sinful. Because if the professionals are saying the hardwiring of our brain is to feel better about ourselves, if giving to people is this, is this hit that makes us feel better, what if I was to substitute out serving others for anything else? Does the circuit, if, if you're an engineer or something like that, does the code, does the circuit still match? What if I was to put 
yelling at other people make you feel good, so do it. We'd go, no, 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 clearly not, pastor. We can't do that. Taking advantage of other people makes you feel good, so do it. Ah, that, that seems weird. That seems odd. Taking a hit of a substance makes you feel good. That seems weird. That seems odd. So why is it okay in this instance? Because we're hardwired. You know what we're really hardwired to do as humans? You know what the Bible says we're hardwired to do? Sin. <laughs> That's our hardwiring. The Bible indicates to us that you and I are in the midst of a world in which we were created that has fallen, and you and I have the disposition to sin 24-7. That's our natural native order. And so to say, oh, no, no, let's do what's hardwired to us is frightening, is it not? Let me, let me push further, and let me try to go. I, I, I have a tall task in front of me, so let me try to get at the heart of something. Henry Weinstein did a lot of things that he thought was good for him. Do we think it's good? We shouldn't. We should say that's sinful, that's gross, that's disgusting. Yes and amen. For us to say serving others helps us feel good is just like saying I get to do anything else because it makes me feel good. What I do in my private life is my business and whatever makes me feel good is good. Church, can I encourage you with something? Have you ever deep-dived into biographies of wicked, evil people? I, I'm the only one? Cool, that's great. Showing a lot of my heart right now. <laughs> I love these character understandings of these people because if you go Mao, if you go Stalin, if you go anybody, do you know what always they think of themselves? Does anybody who's evil and wicked ever think they are evil and wicked? Not one day in their life. Do you know what they think? I'm helping the world. Stalin, I'm helping the world. Don't you do things that you think are helping the world that actually, if you were very truthful to yourself, is really helping your own ego? And your own ego will crush somebody, namely you, maybe somebody else. That's the first thing of what I want to encourage you, that serving people to make you feel good cannot stand the test of time. The second thing I want to encourage you Helping others helps society. Well, I want to be part of a good society. Helping others is really going to help community. So let's play a game. Um, where you give money tells me a lot about your heart. It's a very simple correlation. I'm a very simple person. If I boil it down, where you give your money, where you spend your time and energy and resources, tells me a lot of your values and your system. So we say to ourselves, well, I give to charities. I give to places that help disadvantaged people. And I say, great, that's fantastic, good. So glad to hear that. But here's my question. Do you give to charities without contractual understanding? Do you give to places? Do you give to people without ties involved? Do you give to charities that basically do this? Continue to progress a way of life you like. You say to yourself, well, I want to live in a society, I want to live in a world, I want to live in a place in which X, Y, and Z happens. I, I, I want to give of my resources, my hard-earned money, to live in a world that has orphans being fed and, and, and cared for. And I say, that's fantastic. That's great that you want to live in a world like that. Would you give to a charity to somebody else who's on the opposite end of the aisle from you, politically or socially or theologically? Would you give to them without discrimination, without an understanding of what they should do for you. What if you gave money to a charity 
and they switched their philosophy all of a sudden. We're in a building that advances Spanish culture and language, and people give to that to continue going. What if midway through Cervantes Institution came out and said, actually, we're going we're gonna to dive deep into French culture and language? And you're like, what? What happened? Like, no, no, we, we really think that we're, we're convicted to do the, the French language and the French culture. We're really going to encourage people to do that. How many givers to Cervantes Institute would there be after that decision? None. Because, and this is not a bad thing. This is not awful. It's sinful to its nth degree, and I'll show you why. When we say, I give to things that are good and honorable, what we really should be saying is, we give to things that I think are good and honorable that I want to continue, that I hope the world does more. And do you know at the end of the day what that's called? That's tribalism. I give to people who are like me, think like me, act like me, talk like me, want a world just like me. Said every tyrannical leader ever. See, we think, oh, I'm giving money, it's to a charity, it's good. And what I want to encourage you with is that's the seedling. That's the little piece that is at the edge of every single sinful understanding of life, of tyrants, of dictators. If everybody was just like me, said dictator, life would go well. Do a quick survey of history in your mind. How many people have thought that in the world? How many of them have led to heartache, destruction, cultural devastation of people, discrimination of people, hatred of people? See, what I want to encourage you with is it's sinful, and what we need to understand, what Christian and the gospel understand, what Jesus understood, I should say, very, very simply is this. The only reason that you and I are to give and to serve and to do so is because you and I used to be alien and foreign to God. That's it. That's it. When he says, take care of the foreigner amongst you, it's not because it's going to help your way of life, and it's not because it's going to make you feel good. As a matter of fact, our sinful nature makes us do things that are horribly gross, and we would only help those who could help us. In the New Testament, do you know what Jesus commands of dinner parties that you host, that you throw? Invite people that can't bring you anything to the party and couldn't invite you to their house back. Invite them. And you go... Well, that's, that's different. I have this buddy at work, and she's helping me progress my career. She's helped me up the line, so I'm going to have lunch with her. I'm going to give her gifts. She has connections. She has networks. She has people. You don't care for her at all. <laughs> what do you care for? Your own career. Do you see how that's not service at all? Do you see how that's not giving at all? What's the way that Jesus says? What's the way that God says? What's the way that Leviticus says? You were once foreigner and alien in a country not your own. You were once distant from me in sin. You were once cosmically divorced from my love and grace. The most service-minded, the most justice, the most generous people on planet Earth, do you know who they are? Those who realize, I am nothing. I have nothing. All that I have comes from God, and all that he's given me is because I was a forgotten child in a desert wasteland, and he came to me and saved me. Why well, love the foreigner? You were a foreigner. 
You were not part of the, the power structure. You were on the bottom of the rung. To get this more of an understanding, Paul, when he was in prison, I don't know if you understand how prisons worked uh, in the Middle East during the biblical times. Uh, more than likely, here's what happened. There wasn't a, a walled concrete cinder block place that you had a door and things were... More than likely, here's what they did. They would have uh, uh, their prisoners. They would go around. They would handcuff them. They would chain them. They would get to a place, and they would need to keep them from escaping. So they would dig a hole, and then they would put a structure. And then they would, they would have more, and they put a structure. And they basically stacked people like on grill grates. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to encourage you something. If they were on the bottom of grill grates like this, and, and it's all the way down, uh, do you think you can get out to use the bathroom down at the bottom of the grill grate? Do you think the person at the top could get out and use the bathroom? See, Paul, what he says is, I'm a prisoner of God, and I was down at the bottom filth rung of society. I was down at the bottom. I was the worst. And I was freed from that. See, the more you understand how much you were given mercy, the more mercy that you'll want to give to anybody and everybody. Why serve? Not because it makes you feel good. Not because it even helps society. Why? Because you were once foreign and alien to God Almighty, and he blessed you by coming to you. That's the first one. Secondly, justice helps us serve. What do I mean by that? If we need encouragement to sin because, or, or, or serve because our sin nature is so much that we want to do our own way, what does justice help us do? Now, this is the Romans part, and I want to introduce something to you that's more of the rehearsal of the gospel. We serve not because it helps society or it helps us. We serve because we, in doing so, rehearse the gospel of Christ. See what I mean? We, we were once the brokenhearted, the down, the destitute, the foreigner. Now when I serve the foreigner, it's me rehearsing God's coming to me and serving me. I then go to others and serve them. I go to the less fortunate and serve them, not because I'm so great or it gives me good things, but because I see my Father doing it. I see my Christ doing it. I see the Spirit enabling me. That's rehearsing the gospel. The second thing is this. It, justice, understanding justice properly, helps us do that rehearsal well. Romans has this very, very interesting side of it. It says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not judge and cast down. And we think to ourselves, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Pastor. We as, a, as an institution, we as the church, have to stand up for truth and righteousness and, and, and everything that Jesus taught. You're right, we do. Do you know what he taught? Let me try to boil it down for you. Stay in your lane is what he taught you and I. He taught us this understanding of jurisdiction really, really, really well. He tells us, the church, and actually I'm going to go to John for this as well. John uh, 3.17. We all know John 3.16. Keep reading. John 3.17. Do you know what 3.17 says of Christ? It says, I did not come to condemn. Now, wait a second. That's, wait, hold on a second, Pastor. Because I've interacted with church. I've interacted with Christian. I've interacted with, with the Bible. And it's it's condemning a great deal. It's not condemnation that Jesus taught. It's point one that Jesus taught. You and I and our sinful desires will do things selfishly. That's not condemnation. That's called self-awareness. That's called you and I coming to an understanding of how wicked we are. Point two is this. When Romans tells us, do not repay evil for evil, when it echoes what John says, when Paul is trying to teach a whole church, a whole people, 
He's trying to teach them the jurisdiction in life. Now, uh, it would be weird for me to come into your place of work and start, start telling you what to do, would it not? It'd be really weird if I was like, hey, that attire is completely inappropriate. Go home and change. You'd be like, who are you? <laughs> Why did you come in? How did you get in here, by the way, really quick? Did security let you in? But don't worry about that. It's fine. <laughs> If I came into your place of work and started talking about your attire, if I started talking about how you do things, how you should do things, I have no jurisdiction to do that. Now, your supervisor, your boss, your peers, your company, whoever you work for or yourself, you have standards. You have jurisdiction. People can come tell you, your supervisor can come tell you, hey, you need to do a better job X, Y, and Z, and you'd have to listen. Why? It's their jurisdiction. Now, church, I want to encourage you with something. Do you know what you and I have a jurisdiction to do on behalf of Jesus Christ? To be ambassadors of the gospel. Do you know what we don't have jurisdiction to do? To be judge. Let me, and I'm going to extrapolate this out because it's very, very unique. It's very, very hard. Church, can I encourage you with something? This is very hard. This is very difficult. You and I have an obligation and a jurisdiction to be granted by Christ to be ambassadors for the gospel. And the gospel says this, you were broken and sinful and far more horrible than you ever thought possible. And yet, you're far more forgiven and accepted by Christ than you ever imagined. That's our role. Now, how we do so, we come together, we hear sermons, we preach, we sing, we have liturgy, we have fellowship. These are all witnessing to the world our ambassadorship, our citizenship. We don't have jurisdiction to judge. Now, this is very, very interesting, and it's very nuanced, and I want to help you best I can. I want to help you best I can understand this. And to do that, I'm going to go to new, another Old Testament book, the book of Judges. If you haven't read the book of Judges, um, and you might have like a conscience that bruises easily, just skip it for a while. Just don't go down the road. Judges shares the story of God's people and how awful and wicked and horrible they abuse power for. They have these judges, and these judges do everything that is wrong and counter to God's will. And the climax of the book is actually the last verse. Uh, if you have ever watched anything dystopic like maybe Black Mirror, if you watched that before in your life, or if you, if you watch anything that is, uh, uh, the Coen brothers actually have had a series as well on this critical critique of humanity. It's staring into the black mirror of our souls, essentially, and saying this is who we are. If you've read anything like that, if you've known anything like that, the, the final verse of Judges will make sense to you. The final verse of Judges, the climax of the entire book, it goes all the way through and it climaxes at the very end. It says this, in that day... Men did what was right in their own eyes. And then the book stops. You're like, oh no. Oh, I want more. <laughs> what happened? And it just says, in that day, men did what was right in their own eyes. Next. See, what Leviticus is telling us and what you and I need to understand and what's really hard is we are not to judge in our own eyes. We're not to be judge, jury, and executioner in our own eyes. We're to be ambassadors because here's what, the, here's what it is. Church, can you just admit this? Can you admit what the Bible says that you and I see with a veil? We see very, very limited. You and I don't see the whole picture, do we? We don't understand the whole thing. Our job is to beckon people, encourage people to put their life not according to our own ways, and that's where we get in trouble. It's not follow me because I'm so holy. Follow me because I follow a holy God. That's different. 
Is it not, church? Don't follow men and women because we are faulty, sinful people, but follow men and women who follow a holy God and point to him because his ways are better than our ways because at the end, we will do whatever is right in our own eyes and we will end in heartache. So when I say don't judge, don't judge according to yourself. Ah, but beckon people to a standard that God beckons them to. Let me quickly show you this and then we'll move on to our last point. The woman at the well, Jesus confronts a woman and he's confronting her. Now, if you look at the story of the woman at the well, there's this very scandalous woman. She's a, uh, to put it into terms that we may understand uh, of this kind of clash that we may feel, this tension we feel in the church, this sexual deviant who's outcast by society and feels condemned and judged by the church. This, this is her lot. She's had many husbands. Uh, she's promiscuous. Jesus has to find her in the middle of the day when no one else will go next to her. They go to the well together. They serve each other. And then he tells her of the new life in Christ. He gives this analogy. He says, uh, woman, you're, you're trying to find water in this well that will never satisfy you. I have water that will always satisfy you. And if that was the end of the story, do you know what you and I would have as a church, our edict to be ambassadors? Do you know what we would be able to do? It would actually make life a lot easier if Jesus would have ended the story right there. If she would have accepted faith and we would, I'm like, oh, praise God. Okay, good. Because then you and I could say things of the culture, of our world, of our people. Jesus loves you. Let's move on. But do you know what happens to the woman of the well? It's very interesting. He tells her, I will have water forever. I will give you replenishing. And then he says, go back and get your husband. And she says, I, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know you have about a dozen and she just gets cut to the core. He wasn't judging her. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And do you know the only way to save? Do you know the only way to seek justice in our life? The only way to change things is to point out how they're wrong. If it's not broken, don't fix it. What's the only way change will happen? It's broken. Racial inequality is broken. Socioeconomic inequality is broken. Justice is bent. How do we make it straight? Well, you don't make a straight line straight. It's already there. You make broken things, bent things straight. That's justice. How does justice help us serve? It helps us serve because you and I don't get to dictate what we serve. You and I don't get to have pet projects. You and I don't get to choose what we like to serve. You and I are dictated to serve based upon Christ. Do you, do you see how incredibly hard that is? Don't judge because it's not your jurisdiction. Be an ambassador. That's hard enough as it is. Your job is not to condemn but to make observations of people that put them in line with God, not in line with you. I think we would serve ourselves, church, if we stopped condemning and stopped, started being ambassadors more that beckon people to a holy life, not because it helps us or we like it, but because it's God's edict. And that's it. Uh, my wife and I have this fun game that we get to play with each other, with our kids. Um, if the kids come to us and ask us a question, uh, it's like, hey, dad, can I have more screen time? Or, hey, dad, can I have candy? Do you know what my question is all the time? Well, what'd your mom say? <laughs> 
Did she say yes? Then yes. Did she say no? No, nah, you can't do it. Sorry. When you and I are asked what our view of things are in life and how do we serve, we don't get to say, well, I think this. We go, we were sent to do this thing based upon the king of all eternity. And what he says goes. Why fight inequality? Why fight racial inequality? Socioeconomic inequality? Why? Because Christ commanded it. And because in doing so, we rehearse the gospel that reminds us we're not powerful judges that do right in our own eyes and things end up well. We follow a king who does things well, and what he touches is beautiful. And we are ambassadors for him. Lastly, justice helps bring us salvation. It rehearses the gospel. It shows us everything. But lastly, justice helps you and I become saved more. Now, you heard that correctly. Saved more. And you're like, hold on. I was told once saved, always saved. I was told I profess in Jesus. I raise my hand and get baptized. I'm saved forever. That's a different conversation. If you have questions on it, please come talk to me. I'd love to answer those. When I say saved more, I mean this. Fall deeper in love with the gospel each and every day. Because those of you who are married or think about getting married, you don't just show up on your wedding day and say, I love you, and then for the rest of your life, never say it again. That's not loving. What you do is you start a commitment there that then deepens over an entirety of time. When I say justice helps bring us salvation, what's wild about the Christian faith is this, is that you start doing justice. You start making things straight. And in order to do so, you must admit they are wrong. And to do so, to correct them, involves repentance. Uh, now, see, this is what we get wrong in society a lot. We will fight. One side says one thing, the other side is another thing. And they say, we're right, you're wrong, do it our way. helps us, well, thank you, sir. Isaac, you're the best. <laughs> Justice helps us get saturated in the gospel more because we must admit what we have done is wrong. What is out there needs repentance. And do you know what repentance is? It's turning away from what you thought was right and fleeing that direction. So when I say don't judge, be ambassadors, what you should think in your head is, how have I judged people and condemned them to death, not to life? How have I pushed people so far down to heap judgment and condemnation onto them that they couldn't see that an eternity outside of Christ is the worst thing ever? How do I give them a little preep? How do I give them a little water? How do I replenish them so that maybe one day they can come to see faith? See, that's called repentance, is me coming through the understanding of I have possibly done things wrong, I need to turn from it, I need to sprint the other direction. If you have that, maybe I should say this, when you've hurt somebody and you know you've hurt them, doesn't that sting with you a little bit? Doesn't it keep you up at night? 
And if you're somebody that says, no, I have no problem hurting people, and so they're just out there, forget them. We need to talk. I have friends you need to talk to as well. You and I need to talk because you, that's, that's not a conscience. A conscience says, I have hurt somebody. I've, I've, I've defamed them. I've demoralized them. I need, to lo- I need to build them up. That conscience is evidence that God is in every single person. And what we need to do when we seek justice, when we seek repentance, when we turn from what we are doing and flee the other direction, it's counter to what the world does. Because you know how the world enacts justice? And if you're part of the criminal justice system, I apologize. Uh, if you're not part of it, let me quickly go through how we typically think of criminal justice. We think of punishment. You've done wrong, you get punished. Judgment given, edict given, hammer down, gavel down, go away from us. Flee us. We need to remove you from society. You're a cancer. Get out of here. Have you ever met a victim of abuse? Have you been a victim of abuse? Have you ever thought one time, ask any single person that's gone through abuse, read stories of people. When somebody is sent away to jail and they're given 10 years for their abuse or whatnot, and you ask the person, the victim, hey, does that help you? Do you know what they say almost every single time? No. Because I'm not made whole. Something was taken from me. Something was taken of me and given to somebody else, and they stole it from me. And no matter how much I punish them, do you know what never can happen to them based upon that punishment? That punishment can never make them whole. Do you know what you and I do when we try to make justice happen in the world? Try to make people whole? That's repentance. The world does punishment. Get out of here. You're not one of us. I need to, I need to take money from you and then, and then give it to... I don't know, some government agency because you didn't file the right paperwork. I need to punish you with five years in prison. I need to get you out of here. That does nothing for the victims. That does nothing for the, for the system that you and I helped create in sin that broke and bent things. What you and I need to understand is the most loving thing we can do is when we see suffering, you and I help make it right. We make it whole. And do you know how bent the world is? Let me make a very, very theological statement. Very bent. It's very bent. Do you know what you and I do when we are enacting justice? Every little inch that we try to make it straight is making whole a world that is not whole. It helps you and I serve. It gives us the right way. And you and I are enacting with Jesus. We're working with him to make whole people that are broken and hurt and continuing to be in sin. See, you and I think that justice is the alleviation, is the removal of rules. Of, of I, I said, get off jurisdiction, don't judge. And we think, yeah, there's no rules. This is fantastic. We just get to preach grace and mercy. yes after you preach the need for it. See, we typically think if we're, if we're making straight the bent ways, what that means is removal of laws, removal of rules, and actually it's quite the opposite, church. Actually, it involves more obedience. It involves, justice is a very, very obedience-minded thing. It's disciplined. The more justice-focused you become, the more you will insist on God's codes. Why? Now, if you thought I was giving Lord of the Rings analogies before there was a TV series on Amazon, like, buckle up. I got hours more of source material. 
Right now, there's a TV series, Ring of Power, and in it, one of the characters, I'm going to try my best not to spoil it for you, but like no promises, you've been warned. (laughs) One of the characters is dealing with a moral issue, and they are going through and they're asking somebody who's above them, how do I know what's right? How do I know what to do? How do I know what is evil and wrong, and how do I know what is right? And the encouragement from this person is to say this, essentially. They say, Have you ever interacted with evil? Have you ever known the dark? Yes, I I know the dark. I live in the dark. I see the world, and the world is broken. Then you know what to do. That's good. What do I know what to do? Not that. See, the more you and I resist and rebel against the way of our sinful nature desire in the world, and the more we put on the word of God and the more that we do his kingdom, the more we have touched the darkness of the world and we say, this isn't working. To quote a very famous pop sensation psychologist that was on TV, very deep question of, my life isn't what I want it to be, but I keep doing the wrong things. He would ask, how's that working for you? And they go, it's not working well. Then why are you doing it? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. Church, you know what the definition of insanity for us is? Doing right in our own eyes because we've been doing it for literally our entire existence. Do you know what's not insanity? Picking up his way and doing it his way because his way leads to life, not our way. The more you get that, the more you will come to understand the obedience factor, submitting myself to God's way, as, counter, as countercultural as that may seem, is the most loving thing we could do for justice. Because without it, church, without it, we will not see racial inequality end. Why? Because for our entire existence, we've been tribal people that hunt and hurt other people because they don't look like us. It's literally the human story. Don't do that. The only way we can have any authenticity and integrity with saying socioeconomic and racial inequality need to be done away is the more obedient we become to Christ's way. And then we will see socioeconomic and racial inequality start to diminish, I promise you. I promise you. I was uh, in Portland planning a church and um, I was jogging with a, a, a guy. I know, I was jogging. It's just gross and disgusting. I was jogging with a gentleman who was way outside the church. He had no interest in the church, and we would talk day after day after day as I was jogging. He would talk to me, and I'm huffing and puffing as I'm on these two-mile runs. I'm like, dude, stop. And he would say, he finally said at the end of it, he said, Clint, I want to believe in God because if, if every single person in the world acted the way that the God of the Bible demands they act, I would love that place. Do you know what he was saying? It's wild, church. He was saying, my conscience knows that if we followed Jesus, the kingdom would be here. But do you know he couldn't get over? He said, but Clint, I don't want somebody over me telling me what to do. And I wanted to pop psychologist. And I was like, how's that working for you? Church, we don't want people that's over us, but do you know what happens when we have Christ over us? His kingdom, where sin is ceased and racial inequality is gone and socioeconomic inequality is gone and justice is proven good and his people flourish. Why don't you want that? Because I don't want somebody over me. 
Can I encourage you gently with something? Sounds like you're liking yourself over other people a lot more. Sounds like you want your way over the better way a lot more. Now, that's the first half of the gospel. Can I get to the second half? You don't have to have it your way. You get to have it Christ's way. And what is his way? Acceptance, grace, mercy, once foreign to me, now close to me. Once an orphan, now a son and daughter. Once an unloved, now a beloved. Why? Because of his goodness, not your and I's. Because you and I don't have any goodness to us. And he came to us and says, I don't care about that. I accept you. You! Have you ever seen a child come to a parent and repent and say, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry? And the parent fly off the handle at them? What's our immediate response? Chill. Your child's coming to you repenting. You know what God never does to a child that comes back and repent to him? Condemns, judges. He says, welcome home. Welcome home. You know the best way to have justice in your life? Come home. You were once foreign and alien. Come home. You were once distant and in sin. Come home. You were once doing your own ways. Come home. His house is better than our house. His ways are better than our ways. His food's better than our food. I had Asheval this weekend, and it was delicious. It's that all the time. Except if you're vegetarian. And then it's whatever vegetarian place is cool here. Church, be ambassadors. Would you? It helps rehearse the gospel. And his way is better than our way. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.